Hey guys, and welcome to the show. Today we have Mark Simus on. He is a cybersecurity guy extraordinaire, and uh, I can't wait to hear what he has to say. So without further ado, let's start the show. Hey Mark, how you doing today? Doing great. How you doing, Lex? I'm doing good, man. I'm in Cleveland, so uh, that's always fun. <laughs> nice. I'm actually working from home in Florida, so it's uh, nice to not be on the road. Yeah, rub it in. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so I actually have a house about, I don't know, 60 on the beach. How did you fare in the uh, We did all right. I mean, by the time the hurricane uh, ran over us, it was pretty weak from coming through South Florida. You know, yeah. thank them for taking the hit for us. <laughs> Yeah, we're lucky that it turned because um, it was looking pretty bad there for a while. Yep. But I think it came in over the Everglades, so that that probably sapped some steam out of it. Definitely, and uh, and I, I gained a new appreciation after a couple of days of power outage for why they call um, power and other services critical infrastructure in cybersecurity. It's not yeah. fun to be without power. <laughs> no, not at all. And speaking of uh, critical infrastructure... Uh, you're going to talk to us about some cybersecurity stuff today. Absolutely. We're going to talk about the uh, cybersecurity reference architecture, um, and, which has been around for a little bit, and uh, cybersecurity reference strategies, which is uh, just releasing uh, that we uh, put together uh, just recently. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to kick it over to you and let you start. Okay. So what I'm going to do is uh, talk a little bit about a couple of uh, virtual academy sessions that we got going on. Um, and uh, these are um, these are uh, full-on virtual academy pieces, and I'm just going to give a little bit of a tease, you know, show people kind of what what they can expect from in there, and uh, and then we can talk about it and uh, see what you see what uh, questions you have for it. All right, awesome. So the uh, so the two different uh, virtual academy sessions that uh, we want to have uh, people take a look at and uh, and see see how it makes sense for their environment. Um, are really uh, about two different things that are very close related. The first was a reference architecture. This is something that my uh, my boss said uh, actually committed me at a very large meeting and said, "Mark is going to create a reference architecture for cybersecurity." And I smiled and nodded like a like a good employee, and uh, and went off and figured out how to do that. And it did take quite a bit um, because, as I discovered researching it, um, we have a lot of cybersecurity capabilities, uh, actually an astounding amount. And um, here, I'll, I'll go ahead and bring this, uh, this full slide up here just to kind of give uh, folks a sense for it. Um, and this is our uh, reference architecture. And the intent of this was really to kind of capture in one place all of the different capabilities that, that Microsoft has, has, uh, has brought to bear on the cybersecurity challenges our, our customers are facing, the, the threats coming in all the time, the new cloud and IoT and other technologies coming online that they have to secure, and really kind of you know, making sense of that. And so, you know, yeah, this is a. <laughs> when, that's, uh, a very, people... that's a very uncluttered, easy to understand and direct slide. Yes, and it was actually made in PowerPoint, believe it or not. This was not a Visio thing or anything like that. We actually uh, used PowerPoint for that. And, um, wow. 
And uh, one of the things that we actually did with it um, is because it's so hard to kind of figure out where to start or where to go with it, um, I don't know if you notice here, but as you hover over it, there's a little tooltips there that give you a quick blurb on, on what this thing is, and then they take you to a link to kind of understand it and, and learn a little bit more about it um, because <laughs> it was a little difficult for people to figure out where to start. That's cool. And so the, the, first, uh, the first webcast that uh, we mentioned there is really about um, the reference architecture and kind of a, our first pass at how to interpret it and how to, how to take some of those capabilities and build a strategy around it. Um, and then as we, uh, as we moved into this next uh, new year for us here at Microsoft, our new fiscal year, we really wanted to, to take a fresh look at it and say, okay, how do, we, how do we take all this and then really make sense of it in a language that a, a CISO and their security organization can make sense of? You know, how, do I, how do I build a strategy um, to address all these modern problems? And so what we did uh, is we uh, built, to get, built these reference strategies on the security management, identity access management, threat protection, information protection. And so we went, we went through and for each of these we said, okay, in this modern hybrid enterprise that almost every organization is either operating right now or will be in the not too distant future, how do we, uh, how do we go about being successful in this area. And, and those, those categories actually came from our customers. We, we polled a number of CISOs and they said, these are our top priorities. Um, these are the things that we want to, to try and solve right now that we're, that we're trying to, uh, to, to figure out. And so we, what we did is for each of those, we put together you know, a strategy. So what are the success criteria? What does success look like? Um, what, are the, what is the right approach to this? What are the things that I need to do to, to accomplish that, those success criteria and kind of tech, check the boxes? And then you know, what are the capabilities that then can enable that strategy to help me be successful on it? And so that's really um, the way that we approach this um, for each of those different uh, key initiatives that CISOs are, uh, are, are currently driving in most cases. Cool. And uh, you'll see here the, uh, the links to each of the virtual academies that, that cover those. And uh, if you'd like, I can run you through kind of a little bit of a teaser of some of the content in there that, um, that kind of shows some of the unique sides of, uh, of Microsoft cybersecurity, both from a historical perspective as well as kind of what we're doing currently that a lot of people didn't know about. Yeah, that's awesome. Can we go through um, both of them? Uh, the... the um, the, ver the, uh, the first one, the reference uh, architecture, I don't have any of those slides at the ready, but the uh, reference strategies I do. Okay, let's go through reference strategies. All right. So when we kind of stepped, stepped back and said, okay, what is actually happening to a, a security program? We kind of we looked at that and then what was also happening to the IT environments today? And there's a, a number of these trends which you know, everybody's kind of uh, pretty familiar with. And, and you know, we normally see a lot of heads nodding when we talk about these uh, in, in customer meetings. But ultimately, the back end is going hybrid. Um, so the infrastructure, the servers, um, data centers, enterprise services. And you know, we don't expect customers to turn you know, we don't expect customers to not go to the cloud at all. But at the same time, turning off that last switch in the data center is not something that's just going to happen, you know, with, a, with, with just a fiat. It's just not going to happen uh, quickly. Uh, so it's going to take a while for enterprises to get fully cloud. So they're going to be in this hybrid state for a long time. So that was a key assumption. And then... Um, we're, you know, mobility, everybody knows mobility has been growing at a, at a crazy rate and the use of apps and, and especially when you look at the digital transformation going on, um, it's just going to keep continuing there. And, um, and we're starting to see some, some maturity in the space of, you know, 
with all the different mobile devices out there, the different versions and, and, the, and the different vendors, the different configurations, that we're starting to see a maturing that we expected for some time, which is we're going to start judging the devices by how trustworthy are they. Are they configured right? Are they compliant? Are they, uh, you, know, uh, you know, in the case of Windows 10, have, has the hardware validated that the software is actually booted correctly and has high integrity? Um, so we're starting to see that differentiation where the trustworthiness of these mobile devices is not just this one monolith. It's actually being judged individually. And then digital transformation. I mean, everybody's, everybody's got on their mind. Everybody's hearing about it. Um, it's something like 86% of uh, CEOs have it as their top priority. So, um, so digital transformation is a, is a very big deal, and IoT is coming along with it. And so we're seeing a lot of application development coming along with this, which is uh, one area that security does worry about. And uh, we're also seeing, especially in the area of IoT, you know, trying to apply your standard issue PC security strategies like antivirus and firewalls, it just doesn't work on an IoT device. Some of these things are super low power and they're just really hard to secure with those normal tools. So you got to really think about these things differently um, than today. And of course, as you and I have talked about uh, several times in the past, you know, the bad guys just keep on getting better at what they're doing. And um, the interesting observation that we see in here is that they tend to be fairly reactive in how they invest. So they only invest in problems that they need to, which is very rational human economic behavior. Um, and so the interesting thing here is, you know, if, the, if they're still using credential theft and pass the hash in those techniques and it's still working every time, they're not going to bother investing in something new. However, if they're getting detected all the time and it's making them have to restart their operations, their attacks, then they're going to go ahead and invest in, in different ways of hiding in, in stealth technologies. So the other thing that we talk about a little bit is uh, digital transformation. We try to do this from sort of a security eye view because a lot of times we see when, when you talk about digital transformation, we see it from the, from the IT and or the, the business unit's view, like, hey, how is this you know, bringing value to my business? How is this making me more efficient? And that is absolutely the driving factor to change the way that organizations engage their customers, empower employees, change the products that they actually offer, and of course, all the internal optimizations. But the thing that's interesting when you look at it through a security eye view is when you look at the classic security strategy, I mean, what was the number one thing when you think security? Well, I mean, firewall comes to mind. Bingo. So everything was all about the firewall, right? We had this edge, uh, this network edge around it. And, of course, all the security guys like to say it's a, a hard, crunchy edge and a soft, chewy center. Um, and that's really how we had architected things, that we had this one place to do policy control, and it was the network edge. And then along come mobile devices, and they don't really live behind the firewall. So we had to kind of figure out that, and we, we kind of bolted that onto the strategy, but really didn't kind of reinvent anything. We just kind of accepted that. But when you look at what's happening, when you look at what digital transformation requires, you need SaaS apps off the shelf. You need to enable and empower these employees to collaborate quickly with these modern SaaS applications, software as a service applications. Then you look at the mobile experience, and um, I don't know if you ever used one of those older MDMs and these, uh, you know, sort of the the very limited um, email and web browsing capabilities on them. Um, but it's a very challenging uh, and very poor experience, and you know that's not going to get uh, that that fast collaboration that you need done. It's not going to allow you to run those custom uh, co collaborative apps to 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 enable your business processes. So we're seeing increased demand for this first class mobile experience. Like, give me a real mobile experience, not this this um, this uh, very very limited one. And then, of course, IoT, 
right? So IoT is exploding everywhere. Businesses are enabling it, whether IT and security are on board or not. And, you know, almost every IoT project we see just pulls through cloud. I mean, with the, it, that's where all the analytics, the value, all the, the data is, is, is crunched and then give you those insights into what people are actually doing or how the product's being used. Um, so with all this, it doesn't really fit well behind a firewall. Most of it doesn't even live behind a firewall. And so the thing that we're working uh, with uh, IT security organizations or, or information security organizations to do is to help them understand that you, know, you need to kind of redefine the perimeter that you defend. And, and what that uh, perimeter needs to be based on is identity. And we talk a lot about that in the identity strategy, or the identity access management strategy, is you know, taking that one, that one type of control that you do have in all of these, which is you know, authentication authorization, which is an identity control, and taking that one control and from that clay making a pot that you can use, which is a security perimeter. And, uh, and, and how do you do that, and how do you bring all these new tools that allow you to have that visibility and control in this world that simply doesn't fit behind the, the traditional firewall? Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So then we had a little bit of fun here. I actually enjoyed uh, making this slide uh, quite a bit. Talked a little bit about kind of the history of, of security. And there was a, there's some surprising nuggets in here that, that I was able to dig up through, through research as well as my own personal experience. When you look at what, what's happened in sort of the, the IT security, there's kind of three eras. You've got the mainframe and PC era, right? And, you know, at the time we were facing hobbyist, enthusiast, you know, kind of people attacking because they enjoyed it for some reason. But, you know, over time, uh, you know, at about the same time as we were going into data centers and mobile devices and kind of modernizing into a true enterprise IT, we started to see monetization of attacks um, really kind of uh, become in vogue, and we found people capitalizing on the, on the economic potential of it. And, you know, as we're moving into this current era of cloud and Internet of Things and all these other pieces, you know, we're, we're actually seeing that monetization turn on and turn into full industrialization. So you're seeing, we're, we're seeing like specialized economies. We're seeing, you know, much like um, in the days of the gold rush in the U.S. Uh, in the 1849 kind of 1850s era, you know, the people that, that made the most money were not actually the, uh, the gold miners. It was the people that sold them the picks and the axes and, 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 and gave them loans from the banks. Um, and so that we're seeing a similar and, thing. And you forgot Levi Strauss. And Levi Strauss, thank you very much, yes. And uh, we're seeing a similar thing happen where we're seeing this, this dark economy uh, emerge with specialization and markets. And you can buy, I mean, there's some, something like 12 million corporate credentials that are for sale right now. Um, on a, you know a couple dozen different markets, so instead of just buying your Xbox Live or whatever types of accounts that that are bought and sold and have been for years, you can actually now buy corporate credentials. And so we're seeing this this real specialization there. You can buy attack toolkits, you know, that are pre-made. You don't have to even know how to have you know hardly any skills at it. And of course, you can always you know grab a bunch of tools and assemble them into your own attack. So we're seeing this just incredible sophistication industrialization. And we're also seeing as, as nation states kind of integrate this into their normal warfare and normal uh, uh, politics sort of strategies, I mean, it's a full-on uh, component of, of, of actual warfare uh, nowadays. And so, you know, as this evolution has happened, you know, Microsoft's had sort of an interesting... Um, 
interesting journey along it. I mean, we started where everybody else started in the security world, which was security controls. And uh, for the hardcore uh, out there, uh, anyone out there remember uh, Orange Book, uh, which became Common Criteria? Um, you know, we started out there. I mean, that you know, we had access control lists and and, and Windows NT and the like. You know, we we started in the same place that the rest of industry was, and. Um, the reality was, though, at the time, um, software quality, um, security quality, was a little on the poor side, and, and we were the biggest software vendor, you know, on the block by a large margin. And so we 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 experienced a virus and worm epidemic in our operating systems that was just and productivity apps that was just stellar or it was stunning rather. Um, it was it was it was a really big set of things that happened, and it really kind of was a wake up call for all the industry, particularly us, because we were the biggest player there. And uh, that's when we launched our trustworthy computing initiative in 2002. Um, I mean, Lex, I think you've been around long enough to remember Melissa and Slammer and Nimda. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, those were those were some tough times and some some late nights for a lot of support folks back in the yeah. day. And um, and obviously it wasn't a sustainable uh, state, and so Microsoft really um, kind of uh, woke up along with the rest of industry that this is something that that had to be done in a very very um, intentional way. And so we launched the Trustworthy Computing Initiative. We had a we had an organization to sort of make that initiative real, which was Trustworthy Computing, or TWC for for long time Microsofties. And you know, and really they were kind of the standard bearer of that, and and we're figuring out how do we solve this problem. And uh, we've actually made quite a bit of progress over time on it. And this is just, you know, some of the ways that, that we're approaching it. You know, the first thing that we had to do is we had to figure out this platform security thing. So we added platform security as a core tenant um, to our security philosophy. And that's, you know, where the security development lifecycle was born because we wanted to reduce the, the number of, uh, of vulnerabilities of security bugs in our products. And so we also, you know, we wanted the whole lifecycle, you know, secure and design development, deployment, as well as communications. And our work in this was actually um, recognized and adopted as an international standard. It an ISO, it's an ISO standard now. Um, and so we really kind of went into, uh, we became an industry-leading um, organization in this to really uh, drive some change. So that addressed the first, you know, natural problem because, you know, we, we realized quickly and, and many in the industry are now realizing that you can't get to zero vulnerabilities. It just doesn't happen. But people didn't believe us when they said that. When we said that, it's only when Apple and Android and all these other platforms are suffering from the same problems that they actually, um, that people actually realized and believed that, yeah, you really can't get to zero bugs. And then the second piece it was a time of exposure. So if you have um, a vulnerability, you want to limit the time that an attacker can actually use it in market. And so, you know, we have some, some of our original investments, like the Response Center, to really quickly respond to these things, doing rigorous testing to make sure that every security update that we send out is reliable, it doesn't break anything, and our automatic update me mechanisms, which has evolved over the years, but, you know, has been a, a mainstay. And, and recently, we've actually uh, invested in a bug bounty program to buy these things off the market so that they're not actually out there hurting our customers. Wow. And then the last piece, you know, we're always going to have this, um, this exposure profile, right, of any security vulnerability that gets out there. And so what, we wanted, we, what we've been uh, focusing on very heavily is uh, we want to increase that difficulty and the cost to exploit these things. So we want, you know, we're putting in uh, mitigations um, for whole classes of vulnerabilities into the platform. Um, at Ignite last week, um, we, uh, we actually recently released um, Exploit Guard, which took a lot of the innovation that was in Emmet and then built on it to go even further to kind of break these things. And it's, it's an imperfect science, but we're working hard to, to really kind of um, cut out large sections of what the attackers can do.
And so, you know, that, that's what happened when we added the platform security thing. And that, that, you know, it started back in 2002, but we are continuing to invest, like, in that bug bounty program. And then the thing that's been sort of haunting our, our customers today is really twofold. One is we're seeing this uptick of, of attacks, um, just, you know, this steady drumbeat of, of large um, attacks and disclosures, you know, of organizations just getting hit by uh, these various different uh, attack groups. And then at the same time, we're also seeing organizations hesitate to go to the cloud because they don't know how to secure it. And, they, and, the, and the tools that they have that they built for their on-premise, they really just don't, they don't really apply well to the cloud. There's a whole new generation of tool sets and, te and techniques and technologies that, that, that are needed for securing these hybrid workloads. And so these two things kind of led us to the, the conclusion that we really need to kind of launch a similar type of initiative, um, which happened in 2015 with our cybersecurity initiative. Satya was at a, I want to say it was a government cloud forum, Satya Nadella, our CEO, and, and launched this. And, uh, and really, the, the best way to describe what we're, we're doing with this generation is we're building an integrated security experience in there because security has gotten so complicated and so difficult for our, for our customers because they're managing, I mean, I, I've, you know, the, the estimates vary, but 20, 40, 100, or I've even heard 150 different security vendors in their security department. So imagine trying to, to manage that many tools and integrate that many tools and figure that out. And so our customers are, are, are facing these challenges and they're having a hard time, you know, figuring this out. And so, you know, we really uh, put a lot of investment into uh, building this integrated security experience to help our customers manage these problems really better, much better. Cool. And then um, one of the big pieces of this, just to mention it really quickly, there's a, a whole lot of uh, great uh, webcasts and, and sessions on the intelligence security graph, but this is really core to a lot of our security stuff. Um, you know, we work with, uh, obviously, partners, but we have a, a large number of internal groups that, you know, focus on uh, working with this. And, and what the graph is, is essentially, it's a collection of, of data, analytics, and people that, um, that it's really a system of systems that, that are interconnected that allow uh, us to really have a, 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 heart, a, a heartbeat on what's going on in, in, the, uh, in the security world. Uh, when you think about when you think about Microsoft and the businesses that we're in, you know, what do, what do we do for, for, our, for our businesses? We've got a search engine. We're the number one, number two um, commercial and uh, consumer email uh, providers, uh, provider um, on the planet. We've got um, the largest antivirus footprint, um, and, uh, and we've, we patch about a billion PCs uh, every month. I think it's like up to 1.2 or something like that right now. And so with all of the things, we end up getting a whole lot of data. Now, we're always very, very, um, we always follow the, the compliance uh, laws and, and, and all of those kind of pieces and the privacy, and we only use the data in ways that our customers have explicitly authorized us to. But that perspective that we get, that firsthand high-fidelity data, gives us an amazing view into what's happening in the world and, um, you know, it gives us the context to say, is this unusual? Is this targeted? Is this targeted at a particular industry or, or, uh, or type of customer? And so we, we have a lot of teams that work across that data and the machine learning and analytics and all the advanced things that we do on it to, to protect our customers, detect viruses, um, help protect the ecosystem through the uh, digital crimes unit, help hunt for uh, attackers, um, in the uh, uh, in in various different aspects in our IT environment, in our uh, Azure uh, data centers, in our um, in our customers' tenants, you know, for the for the Azure Security Center, Defender ATP products, etc. 
So lots and lots of uh, ways that we use this, and then of course everything that we learn from that we feed back into it. And of course, you know, the, the next question is, is like, okay, so how does this help me as a, as, a, as, a, as a customer, as an organization? And, you know, there's a couple things that are just on for free that a lot of people don't realize are tapping into this vast data store. Um, Smart Screen, which is built into our, our, uh, our Edge and our uh, Explorer browsers. Um, Windows Update um, actually leverages this um, as part of the uh, malicious software removal tool that runs every month and, and cleans off the top uh, anti-malware families that we see. And then uh, our Windows Defender also has uh, something called Maps or Active Protection Service that um, essentially if it runs into a suspicious event that it has not seen um, and it doesn't have a signature for but it still hit the suspicious trigger, it will go ahead and check with the cloud for, to see if there's any latest and greatest signatures um, that have, have been released since it last got signatures and, and block it. And while this seems like it's sort of a minor optimization to go from any, you know, whatever, 6, 12, 24 hours when you get your signature updates down to that up to the minute, um, when you look at what happened with the, with the NotPetya and WannaCrypt attacks, um, we had customers where their entire global enterprise was taken down in 16 minutes, uh, excuse me, 60 minutes, and this was somewhere on the order of, uh, you know, 60-some thousand PCs and, and servers were wiped down to the ground in less than an hour. And so it becomes really critical to have that up-to-the-minute signature uh, piece. And um, and so those are the kind of the, the the free things that we that we provide out there, and there's a number of other capabilities that that we have that tie into this. We discuss these in, in quite a bit of depth, especially in the threat protection module of, of the uh, virtual academies, um, that really get into you know these uh, different ways of protecting all the different kinds of assets that our customers have, email and hosts and uh, and uh, you know uh, software as a service, you know discovering that shadow IT and then protecting it and the like. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yep. And then the last piece I just wanted to kind of talk about, because this is one of the, the, the fun themes that we were able to uh, to integrate into this. Um, I'm kind of a, uh, I mean, you know me, I'm kind of a multidisciplinary guy. Like, I, um, I like to, to draw and learn from other different areas. And there's a lot of things in here where we're able to learn from the, um, like, the, the, the different intellectual domains, in this case, economics, and really take a look at, okay, what, what does security return on investment mean, right? Because this is, you know, I can't tell you how many, um, how many uh, chief information security officers or CISOs um, or CFOs have this communication challenge where the CFO says, please tell me what I'm getting for my money. You know, why I'm spending money on you, security department, what am I getting back? And the CISOs don't have a good language for being able to communicate this back. And so we've been working hard on this problem. And then, and so what, we, the, the, what we've been able to do is we've come up with something that makes sense. We're working on actually backing this up with numbers and formulations. Um, but we've got something that actually gives them a language to communicate it. And it's actually a little different than most people expect. So ROI, right? What's my return on the investment I'm making? So investment, very simple. I've got security budget. I've got the time and attention of the people that I've already hired, right? That's what I've got to spend. What am I buying? Well, our opinion is that you're buying the attacker, you're buying the ruination of the attacker ROI. Your job is to ruin the attacker's return on investment. Because when you do so, it affects the whole range of cyber attacks, right? You've got your opportunistic, opportunistic attackers, you know, he or she may want to attack you because you have 
prob uh, personal health information, PII, credit card numbers, right? You've got something of value, but a bunch of other people do, right? And a bunch of other organizations do. And so when you ruin the attacker ROI, they're going to go and, you know, do the proverbial break into your neighbor's house, not your house. Right. Um, and then your determined attackers, which are the tough ones, right? Say you've got a nation state after you and they've got deep pockets and they really want to get your stuff. What you can do with this is by ruining their attacker ROI and forcing them to and to spend more to get less. Instead of having a hundred victories a year on you, or you know compromising you in one uh, one day or one week, they maybe get ten a year if they focus on you, and then it takes them months to get in. And so you, they actually have a lot less gain for what they're doing, and they're less likely to attack you, or you know it reduces the impact that they have on your organization. So we found that this is actually a really good way to think about it. And then when we kind of break this down a little bit further, when you look at the return, it's actually really hard for me as an organization, as an individual defender, to have much impact on the return, right? Like whether they're going to use it to, to swing an election, whether they're going to use it to, to sell on the black market for profit, whether they're going to actually use the credit card numbers to buy something. It's really hard to influence that as an individual defender. But the investment that they have to make, the cost of attack, the cost that it takes to attack you is something that you have a lot of control over because if you take that limited investment that you have, that the budget and the team time that you have, and you focus that on the cheap and easy stuff and you're working on driving their cost up deliberately as opposed to going after things that the attacker might do, um, you're going after the things that they will do and that they can do cheaply. And if you prioritize in that way, you can actually have a lot more success with the few resources you have uh, than, uh, than going after it through any other method that we've seen. So uh, we've really kind of woven that into the, to the, to the success criteria and how, you know, what, what, it, what, what uh, a good way to balance protection investments versus detection response. So we, we spent a lot of time on really kind of making this real. Cool. Awesome. That sounds awesome. Um, yeah, you know, um, it's kind of like sticking an alarm sign in your front yard. <laughs> you know, if they believe it and they go to the next house, that's right. That's all it takes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or buy a big dog. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that was that. That was kind of it for the teasers. I mean, we we go for security management. Really, kind of focus on how do we get um, you know that visibility across the whole world. Um, and how do you get it across all your assets, that visibility, that control, that, that guidance as you need it. I mean, if you look at some of our stuff, as an attack is detected, it not only gives you a, a little um, one-pager on um, what the, the malware is that's being used. If it's a known group that we know, like Strontium or Lead or Gold or one of them, it actually brings up a profile sheet. What industries do they attack? What are they, what are they after? Um, and what kind of tools do they like to use? So there's a whole lot of um, amazing stuff that's been sort of embedded in there. Um, yeah. Identity and access management. Of course, we have the classic cr uh, credential theft past the half past the hash pieces in there to to protect your um, your infrastructure. But we also want to help you protect your accounts as well as this new identity perimeter and how do you assemble one. Um, so we focus a lot on that and identity access management. Like, what is this new perimeter? What does it look like from a security lens? And then how do I manage it? What are the tools for it? Yeah. And then threat protection, um, that one is really about, you know, instead of, you know, trying to prevent everything at the firewall, how do you actually do these protections along the whole kill chain, right? Along the whole, every attack phase that the attacker 
go for, how do you raise that attacker cost with preventive controls, with detection response capabilities, um, and really kind of building that uh, capability out so that you know, you're, you're really making it hard for an attacker to get what they want because they're just you know, hitting obstacles every step of the way. And then you know, lastly on information protection, it's, it's about you know, protecting documents when and where they are, right? End-to-end, -end, no questions asked, don't have to worry about it, you know, okay, you have protection on your mobile device, but not if it's an unmanaged one. Or you have protection on your PC, but not when it copies to a, um, uh, to a thumb drive. We, we want to get out of that old mindset because we have technology that allows documents to phone home and track it. We can find the shadow IT um, that's out there and in the, in the software as a service stuff so that we can then secure it and you know, secure these third-party SaaS uh, as well as Office 365, of course. Um, so really focus on, okay, how do I solve this, this business problem, this security strategy problem of protecting my information? And there's, there's an amazing amount of capabilities in our portfolio, and it, it, really, it really shines through. Yeah, so is there a cost for customers to go and take these? Absolutely not. These are completely free. Just, you know, yeah. go to those links and, uh, you know, take them and then, you know, on your way. And there's a bunch more resources linked in each course. Wow, that's killer. That's just awesome. Um, who creates this content? <laughs> You're talking to them. <laughs> oh, really? This is all you? Uh, mostly me. I mean, a lot of collaboration, a lot of smart people, a lot of research that I had to do. Um, but ultimately, you know, I, I was the one that was focusing on uh, crafting the stories and, and making it make sense to a, to a CISO or security architect. Wow, this is awesome. What a great value for customers. Um, you know, you can't, you can't prevent every attack, but you can make yourself a little less vulnerable or a lot less vulnerable if you're smart about how you architect things. Um, yep. So these, these are great. These are awesome resources. And they're free. That makes it even better. Absolutely. I mean, and this content is actually uh, based on uh, on some content that we, uh, I mean, it was the same content that we developed for our, uh, our you know, top customers that we're going to directly engage with the CISOs there to help them um, understand the Microsoft capabilities and integrate them in their strategy. So this is, this is you know, essentially our top shelf stuff that we've uh, put together. Okay. Awesome. Well, Mark, listen, as always, you know, thank you for doing this for us. Oh, no worries. Uh, thank you so much for having us on here. Love talking to you and your audience, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun uh, for us as well, and um, uh, certainly great information. Uh, so, guys, listen, thanks for watching the show, and that's your Taste of Premiere. <laughs>